we're going to talk a little bit about infectious disease and agents. Now, before we do that, I want to ask you some questions. I want you to wake up, think a moment, let that oxygen that's gone to your brain now activate your thinking processes. What kinds of disease processes do you know about? And what have you learned about so far? Any disease processes. You know, we, we talk about diseases and sickness and health and wellness and unwellness. What, well, how would you classify diseases? You've heard of one already. Okay, you are diseased. Yeah, that's that's how we feel. That's good. Of what? That's the question. Well, can you get diseased with proper nutrition? Yeah, you got. Yeah, absolutely. You heard the chief talk about the prevention process. Good eating is a very good prevention mechanism. She's pointing the finger at you, my brother. Always dangerous. Um, you said something about a disease process. What? Cancer. Neoplasia. So, actually, it's quite a simple thing. When you think about when somebody says, I am sick, I am not well, you may start thinking, Improper nutrition, not enough rest, which is very sensible and may be very right. We start thinking, neoplastic, could this be a cancer? Inflammatory, could this be a disease of inflammation? Trauma, 10 people were killed on the highway just on, sun, on, on the weekend. Trauma, okay, traumatic. Could they have been, you heard about hemophilia. You ask questions about genetics and cancer. So what's another process? Hereditary, genetics, metabolic. What is diabetes? It's a metabolic disease. What does metabolic disease mean? It's related to how the chemicals are processed. And this one specifically, sugar. So now we're thinking, someone is not well, we think of certain processes. Neoplastic, inflammatory. Um, we think of trauma. Thank you, you're helping this aging brain to get along. Metabolic. Degenerate. Degenerative diseases. He's quite an expert. No, no. <laughs> Degenerative diseases. And they're not all related to age, the degenerative diseases. Now, we're coming back to that question again, you know, lifestyle and way of life. Yes, certainly it can contribute to the disease, huh? to all of those diseases it can. If I go to tanning beds, you know what a tanning bed is? I want to look, I want to look like you, nice and, nice and olive colored instead of this very pale face. So I go to a tanning bed two to three times a week. What am I going to get? Skin cancer. Melanomas. 
at last, at last the American Dermatology Society has, has made a stand and they said, ban these things. Don't go to them. You know, wear a hat when you go into the sun, etc. So there is that component, the genetic component. And then there's the other thing. What happens when you're sitting next to or standing next to somebody and they go, ah, all over you? You like that? You're standing, you, thank you. <laughs> you're standing in an airline in the, in the line and this one behind you going, <laughs> and it's all over you. And you know, I try and make myself small and I, and it's terrible. Infectious. Infectious agents and parasites. And you know, that's one of the most common things that we face. What, what infections do you know about? There's one very big infection going on throughout the world right now. Everybody's talking about it. HIV and AIDS. Right. HIV and AIDS. It's, it's infectious. Is it preventable? How? With condoms? Yeah, 85%. About 85%. But how is it presentable, preventable 100%? Exactly. Within the marriage relationship as God intended it to be, having relationships as they were intended, as it was intended. Tell me about another major infectious disease which is killing thousands of people every year. Malaria. Top of the class. Malaria. It's devastating people's lives. Malaria. Infection. 60% of the world's hospital beds are occupied by people who do not have access to clean water. And they get infections of their stomach, of their gastrointestinal. They get gastroenteritis. They vomit. They get diarrhea infectious diseases and then there are many types there are the from the some of the rare ones you know everybody talks about milk and mad cow disease did you know about milk and mad cow disease you heard about it you have milk does not cause mad cow disease milk does not cause mad cow disease so anyone who tells you that milk, cow's milk, causes mad cow disease is telling you an untruth. Just remember that. But mad cow disease can come from eating flesh foods which are infected with a certain kind of infectious agent called a prion. And I think there are about 120 cases at most described around the world. And then you will find very zealous people coming and saying to you, if you drink milk, you're going to get mad cow disease. That's garbage. It's trash. It's not true. Okay, are we clear? So I'd like you to remember that. But it's just the way that people like to... You see, we talk about integrity when we talk about health ministry. 
integrity is very important because integrity demands that I speak to you the truth. And yesterday we talked about evidence-based, didn't we? Evidence-based. So if I tell you something, it must have an evidence base to it. There must be truth to it. So I want you to remember, and we are going to repeat this. As you're beginning to know us, we repeat things because we've been teaching for much of our lives. If we haven't been teaching students and residents and colleagues and our wives and our children, <laughs> we teach here. And now patience. And the, one of the things that's very important, I'm still within the firing line, is to repeat the message. So you will hear us talk about infectious, in, you know, congenital acquired, infectious, inflammatory, metabolic, genetic, etc., etc. And so we'll go. And so the objectives now is to understand and name the broad categories of organisms that infect human beings. So know that there are organisms that cause some of these diseases. However well you eat, however well you exercise. I've got, a, I've got, I've got two daughters, I've told you about that. And uh, one of them is gung-ho. You know what gung-ho is? She just goes for everything and works hard and runs and exercises. And I call her the other evening and she says, I'm just about to go out to exercise. It'll just hop us 10 at night. I said, what's, what's what you're thinking about? No, Dad, this is fine. It's a good time. The gym is quiet. I can go to the gym and I work out till midnight. I said, but you know that disturbs your sleep architecture. Dad, we're not going to have this conversation now. <laughs> Carries on, little sleep, gets a cold, stops exercising for four or five days, carries on with a lifestyle, gets another cold. You know, we need to look after our bodies because we, even if we live healthily, healthfully, eat well, exercise well, we need to rest well. Otherwise, we get the infections more regularly. Understand and able to explain the major reasons that life expectancy has increased. Life expectancy has gone up. Sadly, in parts of the world, life expectancy has gone down. I come from Africa. There are parts of Africa like Botswana, Lesotho, and in South Africa, where the average male life expectancy was sitting around about 67, has now, is now dropping to 42. Why? Bob, there's a form for you to sign. I just noticed you hadn't signed it. Just make sure you sign it. Welcome. Because of HIV. And it's 100% preventable. So generally, because of good sanitation, good public health, we are seeing that life expectancy is going up. Certain diseases are getting less. We still face the malarias. We still face the gastrointestinal problems. We also still see, and interestingly, not only because there's an increase in HIV and AIDS, there's an increase in tuberculosis. TB has gone up, not only in patients with HIV, but in general, we're seeing a resurgence of tuberculosis. 
and it's also geographic. If you take Haiti, for example, following the, first of all, Haiti is probably the country which needs the most help in the world. But following the flooding and the disaster that took place there, infections, and which infection came out very clearly in Haiti? Do you remember which one? Cholera. cholera. So cholera, you see, this is such a clever group. You've got a good understanding of infectious agents. Cholera is, a, is, a, is one that you hear about. There's another disease which I want you to think about, and that is one called influenza. You've heard about bird flu. You've heard about that sort of problem. And of course, when we talk about infections, we have to remember that there are ways that we can prevent infections. I want you to think consciously. When you go back to your room tonight, or this afternoon, or whenever, or before you eat your food, what should you do? Now, I don't want you to lift up, show me your hands, but how many of you do that? How many do we do? You know, when we walk, I find myself, I walk into my room, I might have an apple in my hand or an orange, and I think, I'm going to eat this, and I think, no, I must wash my hands. And, sorry? And the apple. <laughs> and peel the orange. So I want one of you, Eric, come. Oh, yes, you are. I want you to show me. You see, he's, he's going to become a pastor. So I need to, it, am I correct? No. What are you going to become? Actually, I want to be involved in Medical missionary work. Medical, so he's, he's going to be a medical missionary man. So all the better he's starting his training now. Now, I want you to show us how you wash your hands before you eat. Or even better after you've been to the bathroom. I get some soap. Yeah, let's have a look. I want you to show them, don't show me. Okay, cool. I get some soap and then just make sure I get a good lather, put some water on it, get a good lather. I'm watching to see how you're doing it. Like that. Yeah, keep and going. Then, and then wash. Okay, and how long do you do that for? Probably, I don't know, maybe like 20 seconds. Okay, now I want to show you portions of your hand, and I know I'm being a little unkind here, but that's the way I am. He missed this, he missed this portion of his hand every time he did that. Oh, okay, <laughs> like that. Did, you, did you notice? Yeah. And you know what? I, I want to guarantee that many of you do the same thing. You know, we do this, and I was just watching. I know you're shy. You're in front of people. He's such a decent fellow. That when you wash... Do you want me to still be here? Or did you I want you to still be here. Oh, okay. oh, yeah. I want you to still be here. Because we're not finished yet, and you don't know who the next one's going to be. So we need to wash our hands. And he said for 20 seconds... Well, I don't know about one minute or 20 seconds because I don't even know how long I wash. I know that I don't always do it as long as I should. Okay, so we wash our hands and we make sure we get right into the, the soap, right into the in-between in the webs of the fingers and we get it clean there and then we right all the way around and then we rinse them carefully and then how long should it be? Can you sing? 
Not in front of everybody. Well, let's all sing together. We're going to sing how long you should wash your hands. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Eric. Happy birthday to you. Done. Okay? You're a star. Thank you so much. And then, when you are out in a public washroom, the studies show us that the, probably the dirtiest thing to touch is what? The tap, the faucet. Okay, so you switch that off. You dry your hands. And then we go to the door. And three people have been to the washroom before me, and they didn't wash their hands, and they touched the door. So it's nice if you can take a paper with you paper towel, a dry paper towel with you, and you... Now, you didn't come here to learn to wash your hands, did you? Yes, you did. You did. Because washing your hands is going to make a major difference in the, in the spread of even influenza and the common cold. So I want you to remember, wash your hands. You can ask any question, but you may get some answers that you don't want. You know what I have a pet peeve with? I watch the little kids in church and they're doing this. And then they come to the pastor too. And some of the adults are doing this too. And they come and shake the pastor's hand. I pray for the pastor. And you know what? You can do your pastor a big favor. You can give him a bottle of hand sanitizer. So that he can rinse his hands and shake everybody's hands. <laughs> yeah, put it there for him. Then you'll feel better. He doesn't have to do it in the public place. So people don't feel bad. Because, you know, there's another component. I've baptized, I, I, Dr. Handysides and I have the privilege of being ordained ministers as well. And so we have the privilege of marrying and baptizing and bearing and doing all those things. But I'll never forget being in the baptismal font with a lady who, after I'd studied with her and we baptized her, gave her a hug, she wept like a baby. And I, I said to her, I didn't mean to upset you. What, what is it? What is it that, that, that she says, I haven't had a hug in years. I'm HIV positive. Do you get HIV from hugging? No. You sure? Do you get HIV from washing somebody's feet? Be careful that they're not open sores on your hands or cuts, but you don't get it from that. So important to remember, your point is extremely well taken. Provide the pastor with a bottle of hand sanitizer before he comes to shake everybody's hands and after. Okay, so... 
we've seen the we've seen the scenario of what we're talking about. We're talking about the infections and how they spread. They spread in droplets. They spread in coughing. When you cough, it's the droplet touching. In fact, the importance of washing hands, you know, I walk along this line here and I'd serve my food. Uh, there was a food poisoning outbreak at Florida Hospital a few years back. And they traced the source to a server who hadn't washed their hands and had touched the spoon. And it was spread to so many people. Everybody came along, the next one came along, the next one came along. You know, it's interesting. One of my things I enjoy doing, and sometimes I don't enjoy it, is observing people. Because it's what we've done all our lives. We've examined and observed people. We look at them, we see them. I watch how they walk to see if they've got any neurological problem. In fact, you know, sometimes you can sit and see in the neck uh, pulsations whether they're in cardiac failure. I count sometimes the, the rate they breathe at, and I think, oh, oh, problems here. I sometimes watch people going out of the washroom, come in, come out. Because we go, we sit in airport lounges all over the world. And they come in, they do what they do, and they go out and then wash their hands. And then they go and they serve themselves water and they take food. And I think to myself, so part of the important thing of understanding infection is how it affects your daily living. And by washing hands, by being careful how you sneeze, when you sneeze, it's all well and good to go, ah! it's much better to do this and to cough here because nobody's going to come and, well, if they do, then they take their chances. <laughs> but you follow the way we need to work with cutting down infection in the workplace, in the schools, it's right there, thank you. Thank you for bringing it so early this time. They're gonna play games for a while, you know. <laughs> okay, so infectious diseases, many of them are preventable and many of them are curable. But a number of them are not curable. HIV and AIDS is not curable, it's not curable. The medications, the highly active antiretroviral therapy, heart, it increases lifespan, it increases quality of life, but it's not curing them. So, many are preventable, many are curable, and let's focus very much on the prevention because that's what washing hands does. That's what the way we deal with one another, the way we cough, the way we sneeze, etc. Interestingly, it was a question. You're ab absolutely right. Uh, we travel all over the world. And I, I, one of the things that worries me is when I travel through areas, exactly, thank you for that, um, areas where we uh, see meat hanging in little shops and people coming to buy it. And I see the flies flying in and out. And I think to myself, oh, what a, what a business this is. You know. In Ukraine, um, I remember 
no plastic covering. You see, in some parts of the world, we are so spoiled. If they cook it very well and serve it hot and have washed their hands, the chances of getting an infection are less. But the problem is that meat should be well refrigerated. It should be handled in a clean manner. So you're absolutely right. One needs to worry because cooking does not always solve the problem. And we advise people when you're traveling and even in your own environment, you cook it food or you peel it, you always wash it before you eat it, and that's, those are principles, sorry, in clean water, clean water. And you see, here we face another very important issue in health ministry. Not everybody lives where they can just turn a tap, and out comes the clean water. We know of people who walk a mile or two miles carrying water from a stream and then they wash stuff in that, they drink it, they have no other source of water. You know, and they, clean the, they clean the vegetables from an infected source of water from a sewage pipe. It really, we need, part of our mission is not only to impart knowledge, but to see how we can teach people food security, water security, how to have clean water. The simple ways of cleaning it, of filtering it, of adding iodine tablets or chlorine or whatever it is, it's going to make a difference. And so we see that it's only in the mid-19th century when people, Ignatius Semmelweis, showed that by, by washing hands, they limited the transmission of infections. I mean, what they were doing, they were going from the post-mortem room, then going to deliver a baby, and wondering why people were dying from infections. And then after Semmelweis, Pasteur, Lister, and Koch showed that cleanliness was helpful in limiting the spread of infection. Here we're coming to evidence-based. They showed, you wash your hands, there's a result. Decreased infections. It's evidence-based. During the Crimean War, Florence Nightingale, the mother of nursing, showed that cleanliness made a difference in infections. But it was only in 1970 that uh, infectious diseases really became recognized or the infection control became recognized as a discipline. And now you'll go to most hospitals, they'll have an infection control. They go every day through the hospital, see what kind of infections are being diagnosed. If there's an increase in one certain area of a certain type of infection, they'll try and find out why that is that way. HIV and AIDS. Big, sorry. They were also given instruction that if they were to 
relieve themselves, they should go outside of the camp and bury their fecal matter. And interestingly, the God who created us and people also gave Moses other instructions. He talked about circumcision on the eighth day. Yesterday we talked about blood and blood clotting. Now why do you think it's on the eighth day that the baby should be circumcised? Is it a religious thing? Exactly right. At that point in time, the blood clotting is, is optimal, is maximum. It's the time to do it. We are fearfully and wonderfully made, and we have been given instructions, which if we follow them, we will be blessed. So we can have lots of knowledge. We can know all these things. But what I want you to do, and I'm going to talk a little bit about this in the devotion tomorrow as well. Knowledge does not translate into action. Even in our own personal lives. You know, we are such nice people, all of us. We all look so nice and we smell nice. When people came into, you know, those who are staying in the hotel, I think everybody this morning put on ginger hand cream. Really, I smelt it as I walked in. Pow! I smelt the ginger hand cream, and everybody smelt so nice, and they looked so nice, and they bright and clean. And but inside is the heartache. Inside are the unresolved struggles. And you know, Belkis read something this morning from Steps to Christ, page sixty-eight, that we are surrounded by an atmosphere of grace which is readily available to everyone and I pulled out my steps to Christ and I'll read to you the rest tomorrow morning because she says and tells us not only must we have the knowledge of the atmosphere of grace but we must allow God to do the work in us not only must we have a knowledge of of infection and how to prevent it. We must do it. People don't have access to safe, clean water, adequate sewage systems. And when, with good public health, these infections can be decreased. We could tell you so many stories. Dr. Handysides worked in a hospital just 20 miles from where I worked in a, in a town. And just by they had a project where they started to get clean water into the villages. And how much did the, the gastroenteritis drop in Maludi Hospital? Clean water. Clean water. Makes a huge difference. So prevention, we've talked about prevention of HIV and AIDS. And importantly to remember that there are certain of the bacteria and the infectious agents that we, that we know about that are our friends. Inside your body, inside your gastrointestinal tract, for example, you have a little private zoo. You've got a little private zoo living right inside of you. 
Did you know that? You didn't like it though. <laughs> I saw that in your face. We know it, and uh, inside there are bacteria which are very helpful. In fact, if there are some bacteria not in the in your colon, you can't absorb vitamin D, vitamin K. You can't absorb the vitamin K. If you can't absorb vitamin K, you can't make clotting factors. If you can't make clotting factors, you will bleed. So those little friendly bacteria in your bowel are there for a very good reason. But they live, although, and I'm talking about the friendly ones, they live in peaceful coexistence with you. It's only when your immune system is impaired that they begin to take over. They go through the Arab Spring and they knock at the doors and they break down the walls and they take over the government and kill the patient. So remember that there are microorganism populations in your body and despite all our wonderful approaches and because of our wonderful approaches of cleanliness and so on, we live in equilibrium with them. You understand equilibrium? Peacefully. The numbers are right, the type is right, the association is sweet, and we don't think about them. But the minute things are not right and the immune system is not right or there's too much sugar floating around the bloodstream in diabetes, then we start getting problems. We start seeing fungus occurring under the breast folds, in the, under the arms, in the groins, because the immune system is being overrun. So there's a good collaboration between the two. There are certain conditions and situations where infections take over much more readily than others. And um, in immune-compromised patients, and that's the whole problem. You're going to have a whole lecture on that. I'm not going to talk about it now. You're going to have an animated lecture on HIV. Don't miss it. It's directly after lunch. Oh, now? Okay, it's going to be directly before lunch. So hold on to your seats because you're going to really have a great time with that one. HIV, after lunch, yeah. So after lunch, you dare not sleep. But um, HIV, when it gets into the cells, it decreases the immune response, and you'll see how it does that. People who have that start getting infections from diseases which they normally would laugh at. They wouldn't even know about them. But when the body's resistance and the immune system is impaired, people who've had transplants... I had dinner last night with a wonderful man and a wonderful friend who's had a liver transplant. And again, as I look at people, I was looking at him through the eyes of both a friend and a physician, thinking to myself about the medication he has to take to prevent rejection. And that puts him at risk for other cancers, for infections, for bone thinning. Transplant patients. Antibiotics. Are antibiotics bad? And, of course they save lives. Remember before penicillin was found, 
people were dying from simple infections. Alexander Fleming came along, discovered penicillin and that it works, made a huge difference. Some of us here may be alive today because of appropriate antibiotics. Can they be abused? Abs absolutely. So, Sure you can. Well, yeah, you, take, you only need to take it for the required course. Or in rheumatic fever, for example, if there's a prevention, you need to take it for many years. Okay. Now that's... The, and you hated that injection? Yeah, I would have hated it too. Absolutely. And there are certain situations where given over a long time period, it can make a significant difference. And before it came along, those people died. Well, and, we, and we're glad that you are. But it needs to be used appropriate. You know, we have patients coming on, Doc, give me, an, give me an antibiotic. No, you don't need an antibiotic because for a cold, it's 14 days with antibiotics and two weeks without. So it's going to make no difference. The body's got defense mechanisms, your tonsils, adenoids, lymph nodes, those glands which get enlarged when you have a little pimple or you have a tooth abscess and you feel that gland enlarging. Lymph nodes right throughout the body, you have a thymus which sits behind the thyroid and becomes less and less functional as we get older, but the thymus is helpful in uh, priming the immune system. The spleen is part of it. Inside the bowel, we have uh, special lymph lymphatic tissues called Peyer's patches, which help with the infections. Lymph nodes, lymphatic vessels, bone marrow, all of these are part of our immune system. And I can't believe it's nearly 11 o'clock. Yeah, when you're having fun. The skin is an amazing barrier, beautifully done. Inside your mouth, there are mucous membranes. Inside your nose, there are hairs which trap the, uh, the bacteria and the, and, the, and the dirt that goes in. Dr. Handysides has a grandson who one day was sitting on his lap and looked up his nose and said, Grandpa, is that a spider inside your nose? Those are the hairs that are there to protect. And what the little boy was saying is, Grandpa, as you and your friends get older, there are more and more spiders in your ears and in your nose. Earwax traps the foreign matter. Stomach acid, important. It's, if people who don't have good stomach acid, they get far more tuberculosis. We've seen that. Patients who have what we call achlorhydria, they have that problem. The fact that we need to empty our bladders regularly Drink lots of water, let the urine flow, go and empty it. Don't sit there, you know, for the next 24 hours. Empty your bladder when you need to do it. Very important. Keep the flow going. Washes out the microorganisms. The immune system, you can read a little bit more about it. And then you'll see there are various kinds of organisms. Viruses, bacteria, fungi, prions all kinds of um, infectious agents. And then there are, as well as that, there are parasites. A parasite, by definition, is something which comes in and lives off someone else. 
and doesn't pay any rent, doesn't make any contribution, just comes in and takes over and lives off the organism. Worms that do that. Malaria is a parasite. Malaria is a parasite. And it kills its host. But while it lives, takes over, comes into the house, takes over the lounge, takes over the TV room, takes over everything, and ultimately just destroys the whole place where it lives. So there are a number of things for you to remember. There are various types of infectious agents, uh, from viruses to bacteria to worms. But I want to share with you one last thing. Immunization. We're going to do that. But I want to ask the question, is immunization a good or a bad thing? Let's see the hands. Who says it's good? Who says it's bad? It's unanimous. It's good. It's important. It's helpful. It's needed. Does it cause autism? No. Can there be complications? Yes. Do we need to be careful in the way immunization is done? Yes. Does influenza immunization make a difference to the infections that are around? Yes. Should we as Adventist Christians be immunized? Yes. Finished my talk. This media was produced by Audioverse for the NAD Health Summit. If you would like to learn more about the NAD Health Summit, please visit www.nadhealthsummit.com or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.